You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we are in the 12th week of our series where we are going verse by verse through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. I say this before every sermon I preach. If you're new to Rev Church, what we like to do at this church 90 to 95% of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or through large passages of Scripture like the Sermon on the Mount. We feel like that's the best way to study Scripture because it doesn't mean that we're cherry-picking Scriptures and pulling them out of context. Today, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 12 through some of the most familiar verses of Scripture that you've probably ever heard in your life. Even if you're not a church person in here, you don't know Scripture, you are going to recognize these verses today, maybe for some bad reasons, but also for some good reasons. The name of my sermon today, if I was going to give it a name, would be the Golden Nuggets, because we're going to find two massive golden nuggets in this passage of Scripture today. And what we're going to see, not to like spoil kind of the gist of the sermon, is Jesus is going to teach us first that we direct our attention to God, and second, to direct our attention to other people. You'll find in your life that if you want joy, number one, your priority should be Jesus, Number two, your priority should be others. And number three, your priority is yourself. You like the way I alliterated that? J-O-Y. Everybody say, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. Okay, Jesus, say that with me. Jesus, others, you. That's what we're going to find today. So let's start in verse 7. And I really only have two points today, but they're really, really important. So y'all with me, say I am. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, Jesus says this. Listen to these familiar words. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? The first golden nugget is what's known as the golden promise. These first few verses, and we only got one verse left that's probably the most familiar, but first, Jesus talks about the golden promise. And when it comes to the golden promise, which really is prayer, there's two things that we have to have in this. Number one, Jesus tells us, have persistence. Number two, you need to have an expectation with your prayers. Jesus says first, though, have persistence in your prayers, regularity in your prayers. In other words, you need to have discipline in the area of your prayer life. What did he say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Now in the Greek, as many times, uh, many other times as we've been through the Sermon on the Mount, in the Greek, this is what's known as, it's written in a way as what's known as a present tense imperative verb. In other words, Jesus 
is giving a command of continual activity. So we could retranslate this a different way where Jesus' words would be, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Make sure you're continually praying. Don't give up on your prayers. Always ask, always seek, always knock. Why would Jesus feel the need to command us to pray? I believe it's because God knows us best, and he knows that of all, out of all the spiritual disciplines that we all try to practice and we try to do very well at, one of the most common to neglect for everyone in here, including your pastor, is our prayer life. It's our prayer life. I don't know about y'all, but most of the time, I feel like I have an ADD prayer life. I remember when we first started the church, I did a series called Confessions of a Pastor 10 years ago. And it was because I wanted the people that were a part of our core group to understand what they were getting into. And so one of the sermon titles was, I struggle with the same sin over and over, just like y'all. Another sermon title was, I judge people. Another one was, I have an ADD prayer life. I don't know about y'all if you can relate, but sometimes I'm bowed down praying about some of the most important decisions and things in my life, and all of a sudden, I hear my phone buzz, and I can't pay attention to any of my prayers anymore because I'm thinking in my head, who was that? I wonder if it was important. Well, it turns out it was just Old Navy sending me a coupon code or something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Interrupted my whole prayer time. I mean well when I'm going to bed and I'm laying in bed, and I'm praying with my wife, and this isn't anything to do with her prayers, but sometimes I doze off in the middle of her praying. Y'all know what I'm saying? Now, if you're dozing off, it's good. It's better to pray than not pray and doze off halfway through, but you get what I'm saying. I got an ADD prayer life, and Jesus knows this about us. He knew we would be the ones that in his hour of need would be falling asleep on him. And so here he is saying, don't give up on your prayer life. See, in the New Testament, we're under what's called the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant anymore. And so what we find in the New Testament is God the Father wants intimacy with his people. When Jesus died, something happened. The Bible tells us that the veil inside the temple was torn. Well, that veil is what separated the presence of God from people in the Old Testament. But now the presence of God has been released in the form of the Holy Spirit for you to be able to have communion with God and a prayer life with God. It was God saying, I don't want any more separation between me and man. I don't want any more religion between me and man. Anyone can come to me seeking, asking knocking, and I will be there to listen. Persistence. Jesus says, be consistent in your prayers, and consistency means it's going to take discipline. We just went through the book of James before we got into the Sermon on the Mount, and if you remember, James chapter 4, verse 2, uh, really reiterates what Jesus says here when it says, you do not have because you do not ask. One preacher said, in America, we're so caught up in a declaration of independence, but what we need instead is a declaration of dependence on God through our prayers. You heard our worship leader, Brooke, quote, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continuously or pray without ceasing. Sinclair Ferguson, the great theologian, says about 
the first part of this passage, prayer is the great blessing that puts our impotence in touch with God's omnipotence, our lack in touch with His supply, our needs in touch with His riches. Prayer is an invitation to an extravagant banquet where everything we need is present, but like fools, we so often send back the word, I'm too busy. We send back the word, not today, maybe later. So persistence, everybody say persistence. Secondly, with the golden promise and prayer is expectation. Everybody say expectation. Expectation. We struggle with this one because like many things in Scripture, some people have abused the expectation aspect of this. In other words, the faith that we're supposed to have when it comes to the prayers we pray. Notice, Jesus essentially says, the asker will receive, the seeker will find, the knocker will get an open door, and this is a guarantee for everyone. Not just some, not 60%, not most, not just clergy, not even the good church folk that go every Sunday to church. Anyone that has put their trust in Christ and calls on the one true God God is guaranteed to listen and answer our prayers in a sense is what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm going to clarify this here in just a minute because this is not prosperity teaching. I'll make very clear what Jesus is ultimately saying here. and We'll get some clarity on this. Jesus uses the example of an earthly father. He says, hey, how many of you guys have a dad? Well, a dad's supposed to be a good dad and he's supposed to take care of you even though he's sinful. Now, some of you didn't have good dads growing up. And honestly, that's where you have your expectations for your heavenly father. And that's why you struggle so much in your relationship with God. But that's another sermon for another time. But he says, a good dad, man, gives good gifts to his kids, takes care of his kids, provides for his kids, loves his kids. Some of y'all may have grown up with a parent or a dad that was like, don't ask dad or he'll just get mad. Don't, don't even ask him or he'll get upset. He always says no. God's like, I'm not like that. My kids, sometimes they drive me crazy. Anybody else's kids drive them crazy? Everybody say amen. Every parent in here should say amen to that, okay? Or you are spoiling your kids, okay? And you need to get the rose-colored glasses off because your kids are crazy. Amen, y'all? Like, I thank God for our kids' workers. Amen, y'all? Because I'd be on the front page choking one of y'all's kids in kids' ministry. Anyway, we're so glad you're here. But anyway... <laughs> it's the truth my kids could not eat for three days and they come to me asking me for food I feel like that's all they ever do I'm hungry, I'm hungry and you know what my go-to is? they'll tell you every single time they ask for food I say go eat a banana and leave me alone and they could be starving God's like I'm not like that I don't struggle in that way I'm a, I'm a good father you can ask anytime you want you can seek anytime you want you can knock anytime you want do it all the time. You don't got to go to my mom and pray. You don't have to go to a priest before you pray. You don't have to come see your pastor before you pray. In fact, I would tell you this. Every single person under the sound of my voice has the ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means you have the ability to be able to have an intimate connection to God through prayer just like I do. Just because I'm a pastor, just because somebody's a missionary, just because somebody works at a church doesn't mean they have any more right to that than anyone else in here does. This is what Jesus is saying. Ask me, seek, knock. 
He says, I'm not like some of the earthly dads out there. How crazy would it be? A couple weeks ago, my kids wanted to go see the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Does anybody know what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is? Raise your hand, you know. How horrible of a father would I have been if I'd taken them to see Barbie instead? You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking politics here. I'm just saying, like, it's Barbie. My son's like, I want to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, no, we're going to see Barbie. God's like, I won't make you go see Barbie. Make sense to everybody? I'm not going to force you and give you something that you don't need. This week, I was at Walmart, and uh, (laughs) the funny story. I went to the bathroom, and just as I closed the door in the stall that I was going to be in, I heard a voice in the stall next to me say, Hi, how are you? It's weird. And so I was kind of embarrassed, but I kind of, I just yelled back, I'm all right. Well, then the voice in the stall next to me said, So what are you up to? And I'm literally like, um, I'm just trying to take care of some private business over here, you know. Well, then the guy in the stall next to me says, can I come over? And I'm thinking like, is this an episode of Dateline? Like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of annoyed. And I'm like, excuse me? And then I hear the guy saying in an annoyed voice, listen, I'm going to have to call you back. There's an idiot in the stall answering all my questions next to me. Did that really happen? You know, that's, that's like how we think prayer is sometimes. It's like God's in the stall next to us. We have this confusion about it. And prayer is a very subjective thing. Some people like to kneel. Some people don't. Some people like to close their eyes. Some people don't. However you do your thing is how you do your thing. But it's not like God's in a stall next to you and you're like, this is awkward. That was inappropriate. Is this how this is supposed to work? This communication, like we're in a bathroom stall next to each other? No. Jesus says, just ask. Just seek. Just knock. Now, as Jesus says, ask, understand, God has the right to say no. Does everybody get this? He has the right to say no, and this is where the clarity comes in. If you are at a casino and you're like, ask, seek, and knock. Lord, I lost all my money. Can you please give me $5,000 more so that I can go play more blackjack? God's probably going to say no. Is everybody with me? Say amen. So there's certain things that God can say no. If you're praying and asking God for a life with no problems, that ain't happening, y'all. Scripture teaches that those problems come in order to strengthen our faith. Because what is faith if you don't have to trust? If you're asking God for the perfect job, there ain't no perfect job, y'all. Because your job at some point is going to deal with people in some way, shape, or form, and there is no perfect people. Amen, Rev Church? And so he does say no to some things. God, I I just pray that I, I never have physical problems. And see, 
this is where it gets iffy because prosperity preachers pull verses like this out of context and they tell you, just ask God and He'll give you anything He wants. You'll be healthy. You'll be wealthy. You'll have no relationship problems. Your job every day will be Friday and it'll be great. It's totally false. Uh, let's just look at our example, Jesus, who is our Savior. Did Jesus go through any physical pain? He even prayed, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. And there's the key. We'll talk about it in a minute. Did Jesus have any relational strain? Yeah. Some of his best friends, there were points where he would say stuff like, uh, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. Jesus' job of ministry, did it seem like sometimes it was frustrating? Yeah. Yeah, chasing people out of the temple with a whip of cords. How ridiculous is it for us to think that our lives are going to be perfect with no pain if our Savior had all those things? Makes sense to everybody say amen? See, the key here is what one theologian points out and says, what Jesus is guaranteeing here is our needs. It's our needs. Sometimes you'll pray for what you want outside of your needs, and God will say, hey, I'm going to give it to you. When I was a kid growing up, sometimes my parents would take me to Dairy Queen, but we didn't go every day. I didn't get to eat chocolate cake for breakfast every single day. And so sometimes he does, but all the time he will meet your needs. Remember a few weeks earlier, we read that verse of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you not want, need. We tell you guys all the time that when it comes to verses like these, you have to use the entirety of Scripture in order to interpret Scripture. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, that really gives us some clarity as to what Jesus is saying here. It says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him, according to his will. So God is not a heavenly vending machine. It's not like, as I've said before, God the Father is the pinata, and Jesus is the stick, and we pray to Jesus, and it busts God open, and we get all the candy and all the things that we want. It's not the way this works. Jesus is not Santa Claus. You guys know that song by Garth Brooks, Unanswered Prayers? Some of us would probably say there's been times in our lives where I've prayed hard for things, and the best thing God did was say no. The very best thing he ever did was say, no, you're not ready for that, not right now, or a flat out, no. It's needs, reasonable daily sustenance, in other words, things we need to live and that are clearly a part of God's will for us. One theologian says this about this part of the verse, God who is good and does only good will never withhold from us that which we truly need. I've told this story before. But there was a, a senior saint named Miss Smith um, who was going through a very hard time. 
at one point in her life, and she was up there in years. She was a senior saint, and she was so broke, it was the middle of summer, she couldn't run her air conditioning, and she had to open all the windows in her house just to get a breeze coming through. Well, there was somebody that lived next door to Miss Smith that was a staunch atheist that loved to belittle Christians and make them feel about this big. Well, one day, Miss Smith was in her house, and she was praying. She was asking. She was seeking. She was knocking and telling God, God, I'm so broke. I have no more food left. I need groceries. You said to ask. You said to seek. You said to knock and that you'll provide. So I'm asking you, please provide groceries. This is what I need or I'm not going to be able to eat today. Well, the atheist neighbor overheard this outside the window and said, oh, I'm going to get her. He goes to the grocery store. He buys a bunch of groceries, comes back, puts them on her porch, rings the doorbell, and hides in the bushes. Miss Smith opens the door, sees the groceries there, and immediately starts praising God. Thank you, God. I knew that you would provide this for me. And about that time, her neighbor, the atheist, jumps out and says, Aha! It wasn't God that gave this to you. It was me. Your God's not real without skipping a beat, Miss Smith says. God, not only did you provide me with groceries, but you had the devil pay for it. Praise Jesus. Now, if you're an atheist in here, we love you. But God can even use you to fulfill our needs. Sometimes God's ways aren't our ways. We don't always understand it, but he will always give us everything we need. That doesn't mean, God, I, I, I want a boat. Will you give me a new boat? You know what I mean? Probably going to say no on that. But God, I, I just, man, I'm, I'm working two or three jobs and we're barely scraping by. I'm in a hard time providing for my kids right now. Can you help me? He's going to come through every single time. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says about this verse, Our Heavenly Father will correct our prayer and give us not what we ignorantly seek, but what we really need. The promise to give us what we ask is here explained and set in its true light. This is a gracious correction of the folly which would read the Lord's words in the most literal sense and make us dream that every whim of ours had only to put on the dress of prayer in order to its realization. Our prayers go to heaven in a revised version. It would be a terrible thing if God always gave us all we ask for. Our heavenly Father himself, listen to this, knows how to give far better than we know how to ask. That's so good. Amen, y'all? So number one, the golden promise. Number two, the golden rule. You've heard this one. Listen to what it says in verse 12. Y'all with me? Say, I am. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets, the golden rule. This is where we come to the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount, or as rock climbers know it, this is the summit of the Sermon on the Mount. Just a nugget of history for you. The reason we call it the golden rule is because Emperor Alexander Severus had this scripture inscribed in gold on the wall of his throne room at the end of the Middle Ages. Hence, why we refer to it as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Do you guys know the golden rule for cows? Anybody know that one? Do unto others. Do unto others. Come on now. Come on. Is everybody awake? Say amen. I apologize. That was really lame, but 
<laughs> That's the Chick-fil-A rule, right? Listen to me for the next two to five minutes because this is very important. The golden rule that Jesus says here is what sets Christianity apart from every other major religion there's ever been. And here's why. Every other major religion had a version, including Judaism, a version of what Jesus says here. But the way that they would quote this would be in what's known as the negative. Jesus takes the negative and turns it into the positive and rephrases it completely. Let me explain to you. In Judaism, there was a well-respected theologian called Hillel the Elder. And one day, somebody came to Hillel and said, I want you to summarize the Old Testament for me. And Hillel the Elder was quoted as saying this, That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. That is the whole Torah. We see the negative version of the golden rule repeated, not just in Judaism, but Confucius would say it, the Stoic philosophers would say it, Socrates would say it. In almost every religion, we heard repeated, whatever you don't want done to you, don't do it to another. Sounds similar to what Jesus says, but it's not as full as what Jesus says. It's all about don't do to others what you don't want done to you, which, by the way, if that's all you get out of the golden rule, that's dead religion. Because dead religion is always about don't, 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 don't. Well, Jesus comes in and speaking to this audience, this is groundbreaking because he turns this into a proactive rule, not a reactive rule, and uses it in the positive. I'll give you some examples to help explain this to where you'll understand it. Jesus, of course, was a theologian of the Old Testament. And really, what this is based off of, again, the Old Testament always mirrors the New Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, there's a command that says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Jesus is essentially taking Leviticus 19 and saying, This is the golden rule. Do unto others as you want done to you. Here's the difference in the negative that everybody had always heard and the positive that Jesus is teaching. If you're driving down the road and you're saying, I'm not breaking any laws, I'm not cutting people off, you're fulfilling the negative. Whatever you don't want done to you, don't do to others. But when Jesus says, whatever you want done to you, do for others and use them the positive. He's saying, don't just not break the law driving down the road because you could be fulfilling that and pass the person broke down on the side of the road and still technically not be doing what you don't want done to you. He says, what you want done to you, do for others. You stop and you be a good Samaritan to the person on the side of the road. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let's think of it like this. Does anybody in here like ice cream? Anybody down with ice cream? Raise your hand. <clears throat> I know you like ice cream. Come on, y'all over here. Anybody like ice cream? We're always talking about food up in Revolution Church, right? The negative portion of this command, which is every other major religion, says 
If somebody else has ice cream, don't steal from it. Don't take their ice cream from them. Hey, that's good advice. The Bible says that, right? Don't steal ice cream from somebody else when they have it. But what Jesus is saying is, when you have ice cream and somebody else doesn't, you give them some of your ice cream. That's the positive. That's the difference in following Jesus. What Jesus is saying is what he said in so many different ways in the Sermon on the Mount. We must model our message. And for most Christians, the golden rule is admired, but is rarely practiced. What Jesus is saying is, what good does it do to pray if we treat people horribly? You cannot claim to love God and treat people bad. At the beginning of this verse is the word so. In the King James Version, it says therefore. What the first word in this verse 12 does is it connects it to verses 7 through 11. This is why we went through verses 7 through 12 and we didn't just take this one verse and do an entire sermon on it is because they're connected. So, therefore, in other words, you can't live out the golden rule without experiencing the truth of verses 7 through 11. In other words, the golden rule must flow out of the golden promise. In other words, applicationally, you will never treat people the way you want to be treated if you do not have a strong prayer life. If you're not constantly going to God saying, help me, God, deal with this person at work. Help me to deal with this situation. You absolutely will not fulfill the golden rule. Isn't it interesting that Jesus here starts inward and works outward? He starts inwardly by saying, however you want to be treated, it always starts inside before it goes outside when you're following Jesus. Another difference between dead religion and following Jesus. It always changes on the inside. You have to think about the inside before anything changes on the outside. So whatever you want done, stop and say, how would I want to be treated in this situation? How would I want to be treated with whatever's going on? And then you do it. Starts inward, works outward. Do you want to be avoided? Do you want people to judge you unfairly? Do you want to be treated as inferior? Do you want to be made fun of? Um, let's go through some of the things we've talked about with the Sermon on the Mount. Do you want people to sincerely pray for you or just when they see you say, hey, man, I've been praying for you. And just five seconds earlier, they say, God, I'll pray for Josh. You know what I mean? Because they forgot. Or do you want them to really sincerely pray for you? Do you want people to have grace with you and not get angry with you and say raka to you or you fool? Do you want people to look at you in a lustful manner? Do you want your spouse to look at someone else in a lustful manner? It'd be amazing. Like, you want to fix your marriage in here? You're here this weekend and you don't know what to do? Here it is. The golden promise and the golden rule. Right now, say, we're going to start praying together. And when we get into it, and when things happen in our marriage, I'm going to do my best to take a step back and go, okay, how would I want to be talked to right now? How would I want to be treated right now instead of, why do I got to change first? Why, why, why does he always get to? No. Do you want respect? 
Do you want people to love you? Do you want people to have mercy on you? Do you want people to be generous with you? And you got to treat them the same way you want to be treated. Romans chapter 13, y'all still with me? Say, I am. Again, the vein of this runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. The Bible's amazing, written by so many different people over so many different centuries. And you see the exact same stuff being talked about. Romans 13, Paul said, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, we've talked about these commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, some of them. We've went in depth. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I'll close with this old story, centuries old story. It used to be told a lot in sermons and things like that, but there was a lady that died. An angel comes to escort this lady to heaven, but before she goes to heaven, uh, this angel takes her to hell to let her see what hell is like. She gets to hell, and there's a huge pot of stew in the middle. And there's people lined up all around this pot of stew, but the people have spoons that are around three or four feet long, about a meter long, which means that if they get some stew out, the spoon is going to go past their head and they can't feed themselves. Is everybody with me? Okay, you understand what I'm saying? And so the people in hell were cursing each other. They're angry. They're starving to death. They're just furious. She says, man, this is a bad place. And the angel takes her to heaven. Well, come to her surprise, she gets to heaven, and it's the exact same scene. Big pot of the same stew. The people are sitting there with three to four foot long spoons, but the people are well fed. They're happy. They're encouraging each other. The lady looks at the angel and says, why is it different in heaven, why are the people so happy? Why are they so well fed? And the angel said, because they feed each other. Because they've learned the way of love. They've learned Jesus one, others two, you third. If you want to be fed, feed others. If you want to be loved, love others. Is everybody getting this? Say amen. We talked last week about the laws of reaping and sowing that Scripture says. It's not in a karmaic sense. If you're hoping someone else will show you grace, show grace to others. If you're hoping somebody else will show you mercy, show mercy to others. If you're praying others will be generous with you, you be generous with others. Now, we're going to mess this up. And we don't get this straight. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. Amen, Rev Church? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. God, thanks for your word. I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice, God. Again, easy preaching, hard living today. I pray for those that are in here right now, that the enemy has come in like a flood and given them a victimhood mentality and woe is me and they can't find a church and they can't find a preacher they like 
and they can't find Christians that love them like Jesus do. Well, number one, none of us are perfect and we're not Jesus. But number two, God, I pray that you take the scales off their eyes and reveal to them that the reason they feel that way is because they're just focused on themselves. The reason they don't feel like they're fulfilled in the way people are loving them is because they ain't loving nobody else. Nobody ever prays for me. Who are you praying for? So God, I just pray that this would change lives. Give us a different perspective. Help us, Lord, when it comes to our prayer life where it's so easy to pass that off and make it such a small part of our daily routine. There's, there's people in here that have probably been great husbands this week, great wives, great kids, great parents. Maybe they've even read their Bible on their phone or listened to it, but if they sit back and they look, how much time did I spend asking, seeking, knocking? It's very minimal. God, I just pray for me. Help me to have the discipline I need to come to you for every single thing in my life. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We love you guys. We'll see y'all next week. You're dismissed. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.